I hate these people and genuinely think I'm in purgatory of some kind. Help me. All right. Well, there's that. Welcome back to another episode of Director Peace Theater, the show where two of your favorite former directors for the website cracked.com uh, discuss your favorite movies in uh, painstaking detail uh, and talk about why they are well-crafted or not films and why you should love them as much as you do or even more. I am one of your favorite hmm. former directors, Adam Ganser, and with me is my even handsomer second half uh, Abe Epperson. <laughs> I think uh, you screwed that one up more than I screwed I did, that I, one I up. Kinda, I kind of drew it out a little bit. I wanted to... There's a little Barnum and Bailey perfect. in me this time. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing uh, great. If we're doing great with that bit, always always stick stick with the bits. Yeah. That's what my pappy used to tell me before I go into the comedy mine. Uh, Your pappy? <laughs> My pappy, he would be like, take this pickaxe, go in the comedy mine, <laughs> and stick to the bits. And if your lungs hurt, you just work harder. It'll fix it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah. 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 I'm excited about this director piece theater, my boy. I am too, because uh, I, this was, I, I would call this kind of a deep pull. Would you call this a deep pull? No, I fucking love this movie. Okay, see, I we've never talked about it, and it's never it. Like I literally forgot it was a movie until you told me about what you're gonna do, which is I, which is a little bit of a critique on me because I should have known about it. Uh, it's it's one of the movies that uh, when, as long as I can remember, there's just movies that uh, Swam and I will both. Just make the sound like when we hear like someone says like Paranorman or like Wally or something like that. Mike and I would do like, mm, mm, like so good. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Uh, this is a chef's kiss. This is an That's Abe chef's kiss. Uh, I think it's a, it's not a perfect film, but it's nearly, it's, it's, we have to look at films as, you know, I've said many times in my podcast, my strategy, my, you know, philosophy of films, uh, the closed system that's like just efficient and bundled up mm-hmm. and has a strong statement you just don't get better than that. Uh, that's, that's, that's why I go to movies. And this is one of those movies that is just like efficient as fuck. It is. Has a that's great true. message. That's true. And like the jokes don't even have to be that great. They can be good or like, I'm going to get into it, but like it, it really does. You're going to hear a guy who like likes this movie. So if you <laughs> watch this movie and you were like, uh, I don't know. You know, like then turn this shit off. But if you're (laughs) halfway, uh, if you're halfway convinced that like, maybe I can convince you, this is my plea. Well, it's just, I think it's, well, first of all, I'm so excited to hear you squee over this one. I I really Mm -hmm. am. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that crazy for a person who is a little bit sort of meh about this movie to hang in there and hear this because I was not as enamored with this when I first saw it. And, uh, but Already, our brief conversation about it has made me appreciate some things more. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, and I only know some of what you want to say. So I don't want to spoil it. But I do think there's room for you, paranormal skeptics, uh, mm-hmm. to to have your brains blown up. Uh, not even metaphorically, just you know, that's it for you uh, and, as you're listening to this. And I want to tell the skeptics out there that I forgive you. 
<laughs> I, I forgive you, and empathy is the path. Okay, you want to dive into this? You're a true Norman. Uh, I do. I do want to. <laughs> uh, so I'm calling this Paranorman, the failure of the American tr- tradition. It's a paper. No, I just wrote a paper. That's that's what a uh, that's a off off a uh, podcast. That's what a. Uh, uh, Adam said to me, he's like, I feel like you were writing a paper, man. And I was like, nah. And then I read my first thing. And I'm like, oh, I wrote that like it was a paper. And then like literally my on the notes that I have, uh, the first paragraph. And you're looking at it, too, because it's just a Google Doc. Oh, no. The, the barriers of the podcast are being destroyed. <laughs> uh, my first uh, like thing just says thesis. <laughs> so it's just so it's uh, we're really doing I something deli- here. I convinced myself that I was uh, doing something else, but apparently I, I almost, I read a book for yes, this one. You read a fucking book. I, I could not believe that. I could not believe I read it. A book. It was more as I was just interested in the topic. And then I texted you yesterday and I was like, sorry, my like outline is not in like I said it would be. Uh, I'm not done with it. <laughs> it's I'm only too busy like seven reading pages, a book. but it's because I'm reading a book. <laughs> so, not not much of that book is going to play, but some of it actually will. Like I'll he, point out the book you were probably listening. wearing glasses. Like you were mm-hmm. like, I, like mm-hmm. I imagine you purchased a bathrobe for this episode. It was a sweater vest. <laughs> oh my god, this is so good. Oh yeah, holy! All right, let's let's ahead. jump into the thesis. Okay, so. Zombies, not that complex. They've always been kind of motivated since like Night of the Living Dead, like or some of the, you know, uh, earliest zombie films. They've been motivated by social commentary, right? Usually they represent the mindless masses, the crowd mentality and how it can be destructive or in general, just people going through the motions devoid of any zest or originality, right? Yep. Uh, I would say that that's something that consolidates almost all zombie films and every zombie film has a legitimate different take on it now paranorman isn't a new story it's not necessarily a complex cautionary tale but i think more thought went into the basic setup and payoff that in the film than usually one can expect out of what its dna is and what its dna is it's a comedy an animated kids movie and a horror film so it has kind of three bags in which it's pulling things. And one of the important ones, or I'd probably say the most important one to this, is the fact that it's an animated kids movie. Because you get a lot of firsts in this movie in terms of what I expect out of an animated kids movie and what is delivered by Paranorman. It's yeah. directed by Sam Fell and Chris Butler, and it was created using the stop motion uh, technique as the Leica animation studio does for all of their movies. And that includes like Kubo and the, uh, two strings, uh, Coraline. These are the films. If you've seen the films, you know, that look Paranorman is like that. It kind of looks like claymation, but it's not, it's stop motion. Uh, but it is, uh, kind of using the same techniques as claymation. It's really, uh, like, I mean, it's definitely trying to make a look that's, uh, that's sort of wacky. It's got a wacky look to it, but it's mm. also quite beautiful. Uh, like for things like skin, like the skin yep. on it is like it feels like human skin. Uh, it's and like that's so rare in animation. Uh, and and like just little things like that. There's so much texture to it that's very impressive. And can I just say as like a as an observer of this of this movie and of this premise that you're saying? So like it's already kind of a standout film because most horror movies and most comedy movies think of the story as being a joke or scare device. Like, how can I scare you or how can I mm-hmm. uh, make you laugh? This movie thinks about those, 
like the story as like the meaning of the film and the jokes slash horror as uh sort of window trimming like less important setting setting yeah tone. setting yeah. and tone uh and that is quite unusual for a movie of this type yeah i'm actually gonna get into that so yeah, i'm yeah. glad you mentioned that because yeah. it's their approach of how they do jokes or how they do horror is very unique hmm. and i think it's motivated for specific reasons or that's my argument Paranorman goes beyond typical commentary uh, of the thing I was talking about with the American public is like mindless, mindless drones, uh, because it starts to pick at the underlying motivations for why those particular suburbanites in this movie are convinced that mob mentality and like the blood so chaos. If you've watched this film, it's got a lot of like sequences where we see um, essentially the town turn into a mob instantly like they see zombies and there's a sequence where it's just like immediately like, shoot them in the head and like and right. it's just rabble 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 uh you they're going through the motions of like it's almost south parkian um in the way that it's just like and then what do you expect would happen in like a horror movie oh then people start turning against each other you know like um these are we just covered the mist for uh uh kings of king and uh, our Stephen King podcast. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like you can do a like a liet motif for that entire film. That's just very simple. Where it's just like, okay, hell is other people, and these are this these are the scenes, and this is how it kind of works. Paranorman, like most comedies, is just kind of aping those styles and regurgitating those scenes for us. But there's a particular kind of way in which they approach it that I think is, and specifically how they respond to strangeness and what the movie's trying to say as the lesson of the story is unique. It's, it cares a lot about that too. Like it goes yeah. to, it goes to more trouble than most films mm-hmm. do to carry its message. And I think South park, I'm going to come back to that South park me- metaphor yeah. because uh, it's, it's a good contrast for like South park's a good satire comedy and the satire mm-hmm. and comedy is, just what the people do, and this movie is is more than that. Uh, and so I'm yeah. I'm going to use that as a point of comparison a couple of times because it matters. Absolutely right. I like jumping off of that. Like I mentioned, Night of the Living Dead, it was a race metaphor, among other things. It was mainly a race metaphor. In Shaun of the Dead, uh, zombies are about the droll, static lack of ambition of never do wells, you know. But in Paranorman which is a kid's movie with heavy homage to horror films and all that, it goes after the normalized comforts of the American tradition. And what I mean by that is that part of it is this visual kind of essay that puts the values of traditionalism, normalcy, and even consumerism on trial. So it's not talking about this character is this, and they need to learn their lesson. It's saying the way in which we approach society, community, a town is flawed because it leaves this unwelcome remainder. That is the strange ones. And the approach is very much, even though you didn't know it was happening. And that's all like, if you've seen this movie, you know that like the end is basically, it's just like, they all kind of fucking hug it out. You know, it's just kind of like acceptance is the thing. No big deal. That's like mainly what kids animated films do. Right. But this one, if you, weren't watching closely you realize that like almost in some sequences and i'll I'll, uh break out a big one in particular my favorite 
they're doing a very, very tempered thing where they're saying like, nope, it's actually this. It's this is the problem. And what this is, is the town thinks that things should be this way. The reality is they're wrong and we're all wrong for believing in society for these reasons. There's another reason, a better reason to believe in society. So let's talk about the basic story because I'm going to keep bringing it up. So I'll go through it pretty quickly because it's just kind of plot synopsis, but I'm going to kind of try to pepper it the best that I can in order to hit the theory. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, Nor- Norman Babcock is a uh, Babcock is a young outcast in a small town in Blythe Hollow. Love that name. Beautiful name. Yep. Uh, and he can see dead people like in Sixth Sense. He's the only one. The town's history has been seeped in this witch trial event that happened 200 years ago that gives Blythe Hollow a very real curse. Uh, and people have been distanced away from that because now it had, nothing's happened. So it's just like uh, it's just basically become a tourism aspect of the town. Though most of its inhabitants are aware of anything magical, uh, Norman's ancestors have actually been lulling the witch back to sleep from beyond the grave instead of coming out every year, I guess, and wreaking havoc on the town. So it's because they've been saved by this ancestral line. Uh, and Norman basically learns that he's a part of that line, uh, the Prendergast line. Did you, um, did you think that was clear what they were like how the making the witch slept worked? Did that make sense to you? I thought so, yeah. I thought you weren't supposed to know for a while because you learn as Norman learns, and so he's surprised when he reads it, and he's like, this is just Sleeping Beauty. Right. What the fuck is going on? Right. So I think we're supposed to believe that, and that's kind of more about the theory a little bit that I was, I'm going to okay. talk about too, because it's what it's doing is it's trying to say, like, you're trying to approach things as an alien who doesn't understand, like, like, why do you go to sleep every night? You know, that's, we don't do that. I'm an alien. We don't sleep. So it's like, in the same way, if we look at it, things like an alien, Norman is kind of reading this tale, this fable to put her to sleep. And he's like, why is it this way? What the fuck's going on? Because that primes us for like the absolute insanity that is like traditionalism and falling in line and doing the things that were done before. Uh, does that make sense? It does. So what I'm interested in here is the sort of what is what is expected of the audience uh, from this movie. So like on the one hand, it's like you have to have a kind of objective eye about it. Like you, like you, like there needs to be a philosophical mind at work a little bit in this movie to capture all of it. Uh, because otherwise, like if you're just sort of along for the ride, you're missing some of this critique, it sounds like. Uh, I think so. Okay. Specifically with uh, how it's edited, and w- this is more. This is less about like uh, we've done a lot of examination of things like lenses and lighting and stuff like that. This right. is more of an examination of the story beats and why they're compiled in a certain. One hundred percent. So it's kind of like a story computer, which if is, you will. But it's also, but again, that's like the the prime DNA of directing is like mm-hmm. uh, transmitting that information clearly and then making sure the audience retains all Mm -hmm. the things that it needs to retain uh to make Mm -hmm. this work and so and that's why when i ask is this clear what i'm really asking is do you think that that story beat was delivered correctly by the director and or uh do you think that uh we it needed to be delivered clearly and you've given me a good a good answer to that yeah i yeah the short answer being yeah i believe it was and i think it should be and it worked for me okay. so yeah fair enough uh 
act two of this movie is like in uh, quest to overcome the curse. Every character finds a path like to redemption, uh, and we're like basically trying to find out what how, how that resolves. Like the cheerleading sister doubts Norman and his abnormality uh, in seeing ghosts. Eventually defends him against a mob of fear-driven townsfolk looking for blood. Norman's bully even becomes a respected friend. Even the zombies themselves are portrayed as frightened victims of the witch's supernatural violence, only made clear by the immediate turning to fire and pitchforks uh, by the townsfolk. Right. However, it turns out that the zombies aren't out for blood. They just want to be released from the curse themselves and don't wish anybody in ill. In fact, they've learned their lesson and uh, and what they did to the witch was, was terribly wrong. And so Norman connects with the witch in the climax, who's a young girl named Aggie, and her last name is Prentergast, who is also the maiden name of Norman. Uh, because uh, Mr. Prentergrass, played by who's his uncle, uh, is played by uh, John Goodman, is the guy who kind of gives all this information to Norman right before he dies, uh, or actually as he dies, because <laughs> he's a ghost when he does it, <laughs> which is uh, wonderful. Uh, it's a great scene. Yeah. yeah, in the bathroom and such. Yeah, uh, and he's just a monster. He's just an absolute he, goblin just... because he's dying. He's he's literally dying. Uh, there's never enough so John Goodman. To... Never enough John Goodman in, in right. nearly anything. Uh, he oh, he's fucking the uh, best. what a treasure. He's such a treasure. Anyway, keep going. <clears throat> so everyone learns their lesson of the dangers of bullying and the necessity of empathy and acceptance rather than fear in the face of strangeness. Yada yada yada. Put a bow on it. That's that's an animated children's you know fable. Cool, great. Got zombies. Understand where zombies come from. Got what this movie's doing. All right, cool. Well, so what's 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 dense about this? What, why is it why is it unique to Abe Epperson? Why did I like this film? The answer is uh, I'm going to start with the opening lines. So Norman explains what's happening on the TV. These are like literally the first things we hear, uh, and he's watching a zombie movie. He says, uh, "Well, the zombie's eating her head, Grandma." Talking to what we don't yet know as a dead grandma, although right. she's like bathed in green light, and it's like it seems kind of of the world it kind of feels like that tim burton-esque like frank and weenie style that a lot of people identify like a, as doing but also it could be anything agreed we don't know yet yeah um and she responds well that's not that nice what's he doing that for and he says because he's a zombie that's what they do and then she responds i bet if they just sit down and talk it through it'd be a different story so th- there's a lot there's not a lot going on there but something I want to point out is it's pretty straightforward at how the language frames Norman's answer. He's a zombie. That's what they do. Our later zombies in the movie and really any zombie in any movie are cliche, even to our main character. That's how he's framing this. Like it's just blase. So we live in a world that's self-aware and resigned to the fact that that's just how zombies work. Okay. That's cool. But I think why the movie frames it that way is that it's Rolodexing movie cliches constantly throughout it. Yeah. And I, I'm more interested in the fact that Norman's comfort with the monstrosity is something that they're from the get-go saying, this is fine. Norman's fine with monstrosity because it sets up later how normal is actually monstrous. So, so can I briefly just say, my, yeah. my, th- you pick great lines here because the other thing that is incredible about those first, I don't know, five lines is that's the entire story of the movie. It's the entire. Like, it tells, they literally sit down and talk yeah. it through, and then it it ends. Right, like that's. It just gave us the movie. It's right. That's like the question and the answer of the movie, and uh, mm-hmm. 
that's very clever. You don't see that you in a lot of movies. You see that a lot in this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to mention the father arc at the and it's done in like two lines. Um, <clears throat> so there's two types of references. I want to kind of take a step back. There's two types of references that this movie makes. And I think that there's a distinction between the two, though most casual viewers of movies would probably say that they're the same. They're not. So there's a shot later in the film and it's a horror beat. Norman gets creeped out by Neil and I haven't talked about Neil, but Neil's is like fat young friend, new friend who is like empathy incarnate. He's the best guy. He's cute. He's funny. He's great. Uh, and they're turning into best friends and he's just trying to come over to his house to try to play with him. And he gets a call from Neil and it's Halloween. The theme to Halloween is the ringtone. And then he looks out the window only to find him standing outside in his backyard in a shot that is a recreation of the Michael Myers shot. Okay, two things that are Halloween. Got it. Now, Neil's wearing a Jason hockey mask. That was so great. So it's a totally botched kind of thing. Yeah. But it's giving us, taking for granted that, like, this is one of those times that, like, in Pixar movies or whatever, it's, like, made for kids. But that's clearly a nod to, like, adults to go, like, ha, they did a little fucked up. Like, they, they messed up. They combined, like, terms. That's funny. It's a smorgasbord of specific references. That's one type of reference is a very specific one, like Michael Myers or, you know, Jason. (laughs) Now there's a different type of that. And and it's pretty standard. I'd say that most references, like I think of like um, hyper quotationalism in the Simpsons, like they're just, oh, oh, so we're just doing the shining. Yeah. It's just the shining or the shining, you know, or whatever. Uh, That's one type of reference style. But uh, the shot I'm talking about happens immediately after that, where Norman is still kind of in like predator and prey mode, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he looks to the wall and because he's a big fan of zombies, it's completely covered uh, floor to ceiling with images of zombies faces and the camera kind of jibs down and we get a typical Dutch low angle shot of a massive zombies overwhelming Norman. Now, I'm calling this type of reference kind of, I don't know if there's a name for it, like, academically, but I like to consider it kind of, like, meta-referential because it's not a specific quote to a specific other film. It's a reference to a trope. In other words, it's any time that you're, when you're uh, watching a movie and you go, and then it's kind of like a thing, like, it kind of feels like that. Right. Like, it feels like that. It's, it's familiar. It makes me, reminds me of a, a type of trope. It's the kind as of... As opposed to a type it's of... Ca- it's the kind of thing that reference. only Abed from Community would talk about. Yeah, or, that's right. Or, or that's right. Uh, if you doubt that that's what this movie's doing, uh, the mm. fact that the movie, that everyone knows what a zombie is in it, uh, is yeah. another thing that tells you this movie Just like is skip to the end. Yeah, exactly. Right. This movie is trying uh, to do tropes. Like it's trying to talk about tropes. Uh, another shot that I love that I uh, didn't notice until this viewing is that uh, his uh, first day at school, he drops his stuff in the quad because everyone's kind of looking at him weird because he's an outcast after he finishes his walk, and uh, the bell rings, and. Uh, kids shuffle out and at the very edge of frame we see a little girl stumble past Norman and she is clearly walking like a zombie is you don't see her face or anything you just see her feet but it's like not again not a specific reference and not specifically new symbology for a zombie film but it's like that drone like grind of school is monotony etc etc it's like that is very much like how Shaun of the Dead does its sequence with uh uh, when Simon Pegg does his walk because Sean walks through his daily life and then does it again later. And it's 
the you the whole joke is that everyone's still a zombie in both cases whether they're actually a literal zombie it doesn't matter they're still going through the same motions and that's like an observation that zombie films make hmm. that's how the references are made typically in this movie is that they're made to tropes to kind of align our type of thinking to let's think about why we do stuff not what events are happening right so it's priming you ready. It's you're already trying to think of like trends it's, and things that are above, like you're, you, it's putting a, us in the headspace of like trying to think of motivations for why we do stuff as opposed to the stuff that we do. Does that make it, sense? Right. It's it, again, it's demanding a more objective, philosophical mm-hmm. eye than than mm-hmm. just a than just a sort of passive emotional eye like like where you're on a roller coaster and just having the experience like what you're describing is uh the movie requires the audience to have its brain turned on no pun intended and all puns intended uh (laughs) its brains turned on to to fully enjoy it uh like it's demanding that which makes me a little bit regret having not read this outline before i watched it because it's making me reevaluate my experience of watching it a little bit uh, but that's that's, that's a, I know I I knew that would make you happy. I hope I I hope I succeed, man. Oh, you're uh, succeeding so far. But okay. please continue. I I want to mention one more aspect about how they how they do references in this movie. Um, they do it with character as well because there's a lot of available tropes. It's not just a horror movie. Uh, for example, um, they do uh they do a lot of work in the genre of like a school drama, or like an '80s kids teen film. Yes. Like the final form of the group is an overly, overtly stereotypical bully, a jock, a cheerleader, a book nerd, uh, and Norman and Neil, who are like <clears throat> our outcasts. So in one sequence, Norman is not bullied by someone in a bathroom stall, but the bully is there to witness part of it. Like he's in the other stall. So it's like typical scene that you expect out of like where the bully kicks down the door and is like nerd. And like, I'm going to wedge you and put your head in the toilet or something like that. Right. Very, or there's another, right. there's a locker scene at one point. Right. Like you expect the jock to be a certain way. You expect, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the bully to be one way, but it's this the other. movie refuses <laughs> to allow that to happen. Definitely. Uh, so even though we are painting it in a picture, it's like a Norman Rockwell poem or Norman Rockwell painting of that scene in a movie where someone's getting bullied in a bathroom stall, but it's actually the ghost of, of Mr. Prentergast, the, his uncle, uh, you know, just telling him information, but he goes through all the motion. Like he has to jump away from the water. He's like avoiding the water. Like they're doing a bunch of stuff that once again, feels like, but isn't a reference to anything in particular. And in this case, we start to see that slight to slightly solidify where it's now going for like the cliches overtly where it's saying like um, there's a scene in Norman's big brothers trying uh, or Norman's big sister is trying to lose the younger brother of the jock, the Casey Affleck character. Yeah. Um, which is a typical teen scene where it's just like, can we just lose the younger brother so we can bone? Basically it's a thirst trap. Mm-hmm. Um and that is subverted in many ways. Yes, it is. Especially at the end. Yes, it is. Uh, and it's it's a lot of uh, available cliche stuff. Now it is, uh, but it's not. But it, it never lets you feel fully settled into those cliches. 
No, it doesn't. Like it, it's it's you, Rolodexing. It them. is, and you're also like as an audience member, you. It's it is doing. It's almost doing the amount of like bringing attention to it that again Abed from Community would do, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, but it doesn't actually. It doesn't actually bring it to the forefront like a South Park episode would do. It just sort of puts it all the way up there, and you're like, hey, that does feel like a pretty stereotypical arrangement of characters. Uh, mm. And then it kind of doesn't let you get the same pleasure out of it you would from watching the tropes executed. If that mm. makes sense. Like, so for instance, you mentioned yeah. that locker scene, or not the, lo- mm. the uh, you mentioned that bathroom scene. I noticed mm. this when I was watching it. Like, so he, you do have all the beats of the bully beating the kid up in the locker, in the, in the bathroom stall, but the bully is sort of more like the objective eye that we're supposed to yeah. be. And, yeah, exactly. and so you're kind of like, what's the fucking deal with this bully? Like, like, what are they doing with this bully? You know, like. It's almost like you're sympathizing with the bully. I mean, <laughs> it's not that. It's more that you like, you feel like, well, he's supposed to do this. Why isn't he doing it? Like what? What are you? Yeah, what are you doing, movie? Exactly right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, keep exactly. Going. And so I think that no, you're. The, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, let's talk about lighting and the animation uh, a little bit. I'm into it. About how they're employing the meta reference. So Paranorman does this all the time for comedic beats. What they do is they do things like um, they use hard silhouettes over green and purple tones to ape the horror style. You know, or like looking down a hallway or dutching the camera, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, now. We don't need to understand why these colors are used or how they're atypical or off-putting or otherworldly because greens and purples don't really exist in the way uh, that they do in these types of movies. Because um, that, as the it's, as a viewer, the main motivation for using these colors would be like why Friday the 13th or Halloween chose those colors. Would just be a commentary about like, well, it's because it's atypical. It's off-putting and it's otherworldly. And because it, it's, it's tried and true. It's like this, this yeah, is what it is, man. And that's what I would call these the equivalent of like classicism yes, in horror films. Definitely. It's like they chose that because it felt alien. It kind of, sci-fi does the same thing. Why does it look a certain way? Why does it do this way? Well, the classic sci-fi, that was their first approach when they were like, how do you do sci-fi? They answered it. So now we're in this like post-modern kind of yes, version of that's it. it. Yes, post-modern. I, I, I will be coming back with that word for you, my friend. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, but just briefly, it's also because yeah. because we do it this way. That's the other yes. reason they put the green and the purple. It's because like that's how these because are done. Because we do it this exactly. Way. Keep, couldn't, couldn't be, I know you're serving I know me up. I know baby. I'm teeing you up. I know it. Uh, so Paramin, Paramin Norman does this because our main uh, does it because like our main character, we the viewer are swept up in this genre lexicon of horror. So dashes of light and framing just evoke not specific references, but something that feels familiar. Right. That's what I was talking about earlier. There's a super fast zoom lenses that occur randomly. On, like, imagine a shot. Super fast zoom in on a close uh, to a close up of a f- lady screaming. You know, like, what it, what type of genre am I talking about? <laughs> like, there's only one right. <laughs> that I could right. be talking about. Maybe two. The film itself starts with like a 16 millimeter esque low budget zombie VHS that Norman's watching. So it's like it's already embedded in the DNA of the thing. It's just like it looks and feels like a zombie movie. Again, the most common tool pulled out of this movie's bag of trips, tricks is elucidating tropes. It's all the joke buckets. It's just it feels and reminds me of this. It's not homage. I think of this movie is more occupied with trends than events is what I'm saying. And that becomes more important later when we realize what it's talking about which is that it's not about blaming, it's about forgiveness. And it's trying to say that the world itself is broken. 
the town is the representation of the world. Not people are broken. The world is broken. Yes. And this is all stop motion. The, the very fabric of the world, the walls, the skin, the hair, and everything, have been described as in reviews as grotesque, and uh, people have a lot of words about yeah. it. Reviewers did not care for that aspect as movies, yeah. especially considering it's a kid's movie. It's one of the reasons Like has never done well on the kid's uh, movie front. I, because it, I think that some people feel it's isolating kids. I, that I don't think is true. Yeah, I think so. Okay, this is where this is where you run into uh, a lot of stuff shirted people uh, mm-hmm. because like I don't like this look. I don't like this kind of animation style. Um, just like I don't like I didn't like Psychonauts as much as Mike does, for instance, for right, for the for, same reason video, and because yeah. it, it, of the same vibe. And I didn't super love like mid '90s cartoons for that reason. But it is. But I, I'm not saying. But it is a familiar. But it, it's a familiar look for kids. Kids are not bothered by it. Exactly. And like that's, that's a dumb fucking critique. Exactly. It's not about thumbs up, thumbs yeah. down. It's just that a lot of people did criticize this movie. Like this is not a movie. That like, kid should be watching. That's stupid. Because of the grotesque. That's completely stupid. And that's stupid yeah. because. And that's kind of. This is kind of even more meta than I already getting meta. But I kind of find it in my studying of this film that. Uh, <laughs> Structurally, symbolically, and the joke content, this is all a kid's movie. Right. So this adds to the strangeness of this movie. So not only on a viscerally visual level, it's got a vibe of being strange. It's a strange movie even within its own category. Right. It's, it's, so, it's like, an outcast. As a kid's movie, it's the outsider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you – that has doesn't really play into my theory, but it's just but funny it's because it's like – it's just all these things coming together where you just go, everything about this movie is saying one thing. But, but uh, it, and let's talk about that does or matter three though. Things, but sorry, but that does thing. matter. That does matter. Right. Like that does tell you that the that you at least you understand what this director is doing because mm-hmm. because it can't line up like that on accident. Like that's not a that's not right. a happenstance. Uh, I like that's too much chaos for me. Like, that is the result of a director with a singular vision about how this story should be told and what it's about. And the fact that some people don't like it is like, well, okay. Uh, Their Mm -hmm. critiques of it are so far dumb. uh, But I think the fact that it lines up so well tells you that that's the work of a director that knows what they're doing. Um, Also, I'm not going to let you get away with this one thing. You when what? you wrote out you wrote out this line and you wrote out the line. Listen, they're arguing it's not a kids movie. Structurally, symbolically, the joke content, and then you wrote, "It's a kid a movie." <laughs> it's a kid's a movie. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, right. You're right. You wrote that. I, I did. And I, I like did write that. that. Uh, I'm, I'm highlighting it right now through the Google Doc. So now you now you see that it's a, kid, a movie. It's a kid's a movie. I'm not letting that go because it was perfect. Uh, and it's a it's an, it's spicy being a ball. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about consumerism yeah, yeah. a little bit uh, because now we're going to get into what I think it's saying. So it all starts with the setting, Blythe Hollow. It's a small, quiet town. Everyone knows everyone. It's one school for the town. Uh, shout out, by the way, to one, my favorite joke in the thing, which is the town's motto, which is Blythe Hollow, a great place to hang. Yeah, it was, that was so good. What a good joke. It's so perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect. Uh, just the witch trial shit. Oh, mm. Chef's kiss. Uh, the town itself has lost the purpose of being a town, however. And the reason we know this is because the movie takes some pretty subtle and not so subtle swings at consumerism. Uh, now I'm going to go to the fucking book. 
so Leela Estes and Catherine Kelp Stebbins wrote this paper called Undead in Suburbia. It kind of outlines it's a part of a like it's part of a book that's just a compilation of papers. Yeah. And the papers are basically talking about how do we do horror and like like how do we deal with horror and what was the purpose of all these horror films starting from like Bride of Frankenstein. It talks a lot about comedy and such too. So that's why Paranorman's in this book. And they wrote this. Norman's drama teacher tells the school children that Blythe Hollow was founded by Puritans, quote, strict and devout settlers who came here to build a home, a place without sin. The town in Paranorma is its own kind of suburban space, founded on the puritanical desire to escape the evils offered by both the wilds of urban and rural environments. So what they're kind of arguing here is that there is a kind of ad hoc position of just by the mere fact of it happening in the suburbs is like, why does the suburb suburbs exist? Because it needs, to, it, it was a place of safety. It was a retreat from the two rough other answers to how you do society, which is to live alone right. or to live entirely together. Yep. So the suburb created this and then it became the middle class in America. But the suburb is this idea of, of both things. And if you actually look at the word and go to the Latin, it actually kind of in the same way that undead is not living. You know, it's not dead. It's not alive. It's just not alive. Right. It's it's like that's how the word formation suburbs kind of means the same kind of thing. I think it comes like there's like I think it comes from the re- Greek like herb or something like that, which basically means it's like not of the city and not of the so it's defined by what it's not. That becomes also important a little bit later too because when we're defining terms and deciding what is normal, that's kind of where paranorma picks paranorman picks up the slack. So in this movie the drama teacher goes on and this is now just me reading into it, but it says she says quote, "Don't you know anything about the history of the town to the school children?" When it's brought up by a student that uh, that's just historically inaccurate. She, uh, she, uh, and they say like, it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be the history. That's not the facts. Uh, she gets really angry and it reveals kind of this devoutness for tradition and social constructs as inherently having value. And even if the truth, which she said was important, don't you know anything about the history of your town? Even if the truth is literally a lie and that, and the thing that she said has value, the truth that's just trumped immediately because the school play is supposed to do one thing, which she says, sell postcards and keep the town alive. Yeah. Uh, so that was one of the least, that was one of my least favorite characters I've seen in a very long time. Right. Because she's supposed to be all in- ignorance and car. Yeah. And she, she is. literally leads. Yeah. And she's also super fake. She has her old, like, let's slip the dogs of war speech. Yeah. Uh, and she's just, you just hate her from the get-go. She's kind of like in, again, the mist. She's that character who's leading, like the religious characters were leading, uh, trying to form a cult. Do you, do you think that's why she's in the zombie makeup? Absolutely. Like it's sort of, re- like she's actually the closest yeah, to... so if you haven't seen it, it's um, she's wearing a face mask because she's going to bed and she has like her hat, her, she has like a... Like the whatever you wear, <laughs> fucking I don't know. Whatever you wear, like when uh, the shower cap, and um, she's <clears throat> she's basically looks like a zombie because she has all this green facial scrub on, and it is the same color of the zombie's skin palette. Um, I noticed it, and I was like trying to figure out what what they were saying with that, but I didn't have an Abe 
nearby. Because uh, she's the leader of the dead. Yeah, she yeah. She is the most dead of the town. Yeah. Uh, and her ignorance plays right into that, uh, the actions and the motives of the town people, because she's also very loud. Uh, so when they're confronted with zombies, who, by the way, at this point are, we're, it's unclear to us, but it's kind of funny ret, j- retcon joke where it kind of goes back and you go like, oh, the reason that they're going like, it's because they're like kind of terrified because all of the, the masses are monstrous. There's a kid at one point who like rips one of its legs off and like has a demonic yeah, laugh. Yeah, no kidding. Like the joke becomes that the people go from zero to 100, like the town in South, South Park. Right. And they just dismember zombies and the zombies are just like retreating. But it's They're, like not trying to hurt. But anybody. it's not funny. That's the thing that I felt when I was watching it was I like... I think it's a children's movie. That's why. Yeah, it's not a great joke. It's tough. Because if, if it was yeah. in South Park, that, would, like, that joke would be real clear. Like That, that joke is like the, the meat of that bone. And in this movie, it was like, boy, these townspeople are just kind of assholes. Uh, and like, So you do think about it, but it doesn't lead you right to the conclusion of it. You know what I mean? And and uh, do you, is that your experience, or do you think, no, no, they really walked you right up to it? I guess I just perceive it in a different, different way, because uh, it's all kind of what, in what I said. I think it's a children's movie. I think most jokes in most movies are not good. I rarely sure, laugh sure, at movies. Sure, 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 um, And it's like, I don't know what that is, and maybe it's just, you know, working mainly in comedy for most of my life. But it, when I see it, I just go, that's an appropriate level of jokes for that type of movie. I had right, the same the thing with works. a Lego movie. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I fucking, I hate Lego movie. Right. Uh, and I know I'm going to get a lot of guff for that. <laughs> uh, it's because it just doesn't work on me. And it's not because, it's because I don't think that the elements all line up in the way that like a movie like this, it does. But like, even it. If we're to say, like, those jokes are better than those jokes, I'm like, I don't care. Whatever jokes work on you, man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I agree. It's just that... I don't laugh at any of these jokes. Uh, I did laugh at the, it's a great place to hang, and there are bits that, that I'm, I think is pretty funny. Uh, but, like, there's, uh, again, the Casey Affleck jock character says, like, all you guys want to do is burn and murder stuff, burn and murder stuff. And I'm like, that's not a good joke, but I do acknowledge that some people think that that's so funny because he said murder stuff. You know, right. it's like, I don't understand right. what makes it funny for any particular human. I'm not going to speak to that. I don't that. think this um, movie is a strong comedy. Uh, no. It's, it's a, for most people, I don't think it I don't, It's a better movie than it is a comedy. Uh, yeah. I guess my only bone that I'm picking here is, and like, it doesn't, it doesn't dilute your theory at all. It's, it's that uh, I think that that's a moment where the execution is not as good as it needed to be. Because because mm. I think it makes it confusing, like tone like mm. tonally confusing, not like what's happening confusing, but just sort of like wait a minute, why? What am I supposed to think about this? And maybe it's a very tough balance as a director to make an audience uncomfortable. Like it's very hard to yeah. make an audience yeah. uncomfortable and make them ask yeah. questions. Right? You say that, and yet you and I have rarely, both of us have rarely tried to do it. Uh, oh, I yeah. tried to do it it's once. Tough. I tried to do it once in film school, and you remember that movie? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, and uh, let's just say it was uh, it was not a kids' a movie uh, at all. <laughs> it's not a chef's kiss. You know, uh, I like that movie, but uh, it's like, um, yeah, I think that it's more of like what I enjoy to watch as, yeah, opposed, okay. as opposed to what I've been uh, enabled to create on the earth while I'm here. You know, it's two different things. You know, I, I would like to make movies like this. I haven't yet. 
Um, I, but I also yeah. haven't made many movies. Right. That's that's so, fair. It's fine. Anyway, not fine. that doesn't that doesn't dilute your theory. I just I do feel like yeah. it's important to have some measure of like, well, does this actually connect in the experience of it? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And I think it does, okay. especially on the consumerism level, because it's basically, that's it right there. Like the way that they, like the way that, uh, the, 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 the school teacher, the theater teacher, uh, approaches everything. It's the, the justification of consumerism isn't for any other grand purpose than to just keep the talent alive. And therefore, it kind of labels it as an undead existence because it's forgotten its roots and it's just become a shell whose only aim is just to keep the machine running, which is like, I don't know, something, something, something. Right. Um, I want to talk about traditionalism and this idea of now I've talked about how like people are pay- like, paying a lot of attention to just do the thing that you're supposed to do. Uh, and I want to talk about cycles and I want to talk about time. And how this movie approaches uh, the kind of re- repetition of humanity to do this kind of thing. So it's why do, why is it not just one per- particular person's failure? Why isn't this movie just about seven fucking Puritans who murdered a little girl, and they should get damned for that? Why is it more than that? And I think there's an yes. Answer. So simultaneous to this world building is the character building that turns. It cites on social behavior. The best example of this, in my opinion, is how Paranorma does the school play performance sequence itself. During the play, and this is still in like act one, very early, there's an on-screen bit where all the parents have VHS or mini DV cameras. I think it takes place somewhere in like, I want to say like 1990s kind of thing. It's unclear when it happens, but he's got a Nokia phone. All the cars aren't like very updated. It's at a particular time, but it doesn't seem to matter because um, it's kind of a self-contained town. Uh, during the play, there's an on-screen bit where all the parents, so they have all that stuff, but um, you see just a sea of red recording lights. And while this movie takes place in the 90s, it's clearly an observation that I only heard, and maybe it's just young, maybe it's been made many times and I'm just, you know, I only live one life and it's right now. Uh, that's an observation that the, the movie makes where came up with iPhones where people do the thing at concerts or at a tourism location and don't experience it. You know, here they have to experience it with their fucking phones. You know, that fucking annoying observation that many people have made. So Norman, even Norman's father, even his camera stops working and he says a joke. Now we'll never get to remember this moment. That's like a 2005, 2010 joke, right? Perfect. So obviously that's done in order to take a jab at the elitism of making that observation. And this movie's pointing at the cyclic nature or the ignorance of past mistakes. It's saying the nineties were like right now. Ooh. If, if it wasn't iPhone, if it's iPhones today and I'm making that iPhone joke about today, but it's with mini DV cameras and VHS cameras. What do you think that's trying to say? It's trying to say that there's a cyclic nature to this form of ignorance. Or rather, that these kinds of observations of social behavior are timeless. Yeah. It's kind of always being true and never becoming irrelevant. I think that I uh, think that in order to do any effective critique on the way society is organized, you have to mm-hmm. you have to show the particulars, but then you have to go back to uh the, that sort of basic truth that you hear represented everywhere uh but honestly and you're gonna laugh at this most profoundly in the book of ecclesiastes which is the mm-hmm. uh there's nothing new under the sun 
vanity of vanity. There's, There's nothing, nothing like, like yeah. that book is really good for that one thing that ba- that society is based on. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's truth in it. I mean, uh, I think it happens all the time. We make mistakes and remake them. I don't think that that's a fresh opinion. It's just well, one that never exactly. runs out of relevance. Right, because it, it just as it was already old news when it was written down in Ecclesiastes. Exactly. The whole idea is that right, it's exactly. old news. Yeah. Uh, and so I think what they're doing in this movie is taking that kind of impetus and mirroring it to... Uh, the fear and reaction of the court of the seven in the 19th in 1719. So humans will always fear the unknown right. and the strange and distancing yourself from the abnormal is safer than changing your perspective or opening your heart and being empathetic. I want to talk about my favorite sequence. I'm excited. Norman's walk, which is a, by the way, anyone who, if you don't watch the film or care to watch the film, and you're still here. I don't know, know what. I don't know how you got are. this far. But <laughs> but uh, the one like very low cost thing you can do is definitely check out John Bryan's score of this down like on Spotify. Get the OST. Fucking shreds. Abe was I love Abe this was score. screaming about how slapping how much it slapped to me. It's so wonderful. Yeah, God, it gets you loved me. it. Uh, so Norman's walk is just something that happens about like five minutes into the movie. During Norman's walk, we learn that Norman can see ghosts everywhere, and it's not just his grandma. His neighbors leer at him suspiciously and shake their head in disappointment, so we know it's kind of like he's kind of already considered an outcast. These are the pieces of information that we're just getting at the top of the movie. We see the following images in order, and I'm just going to kind of quickly go through them and then I'll unpack them. First image we see is trash bags caught on chain link fences. Second, a broken red children's bike. Three, fast food cartons and bags at Norman's feet. Four, spray paint on a sidewalk that has been X'd out, as if to say, hold the work or ignore this construction note, like a, a social, like whatever they're doing, like if they're doing sewage something or something, like whatever it is, they're spray painting on the ground. And then they've X'd it out to say, like, no, don't. The fifth image is a dead raccoon, and it they, he's looked at disapprovingly upon by an older couple, and their shot resembles American Gothic. Yeah. That yeah, painting. Yeah. Then the camera swivels around Norman as the music swells to reveal that the dead he's to reveal the dead he's communicating with. And in order, they are a complete with hair rollers and blow dryer and all a fairly modern housewife, a 60s hippie, a union soldier and his horse, uh, a greaser type guy, clearly from the 80s, like a Fonzie character, a mafia boss or goon with concrete on his legs, clearly yeah. from the 1920s. Yep. Amelia Earhart-esque pilot from what looks to be the 1930s. So in like nine images of once the camera swivels, I have two observations. First, it seems that the movie's going out of its way to cross off a list of all the kind of different things that happened in the century of Americana. Almost every decade is represented. And it's usually like a very cliche version of that time. Oh, you know, like the time there's 60s and free love and everything, stuff like that. Now it's all at all. So basically he's walking down a road at the very top of the film. That's all times in all Americas. Well, at least from a historical perspective, the big ones. Yeah. It's everything from the civil war to now. It's, yeah. I guess the civil war is also that. It's too. not, it's not indigenous America, which I'm not saying to be like woke. I'm saying, be- no, 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 it's absolutely. That's right. a, that's a key exclusion, I would argue. Uh, no, nope, it's definitely, and it's that. not pre-revolutionary war, America mm-hmm. either. Uh, it's definitely this country. 
it's American yes. culture and the United States of Correct. America. Correct. And like it's I, I hesitate to say this without going on too long of a tangent. It's pretty tough to make any meaningful commentary about America before the Civil War. And I think that this is saying this is sure. sort of slightly saying that. Uh, it's hard to lump the two eras together because I think the Civil War changed a lot. It is hard. I think most of it is also just kind of, it's not even a joke bucket, but it's just like, let's pepper the scene with like, oh, wow, a lot of people are dead, so let's Rolodex all the types dead. Uh, But then you realize that once you put them all together, it kind of adds a different picture. Because every shot, uh, or in addition to that, my other observation would be about the first three shots and just kind of how the setting is painted in general during this sequence. Every shot is actually about deterioration. You weren't looking for it because it starts the sequence. So before the sequence takes hold and you go, oh, I see, I know what you're doing, it's kind of sleepily hitting you. And the first several images, if you'll remember, are trash bags caught on chain link fences, a broken red children's bike, which is very, like, again, Norman Rockwell, but it's like gathering dust and has spider webs on it, fast food cartons and bags at Norman's feet, the idea of sprawl or just littering and the idea of, like, a society that doesn't really care about the things around itself. So... The first several images are sneakily making you think that the town itself is dead. In Norman's mind, these unfinished souls that occupy the space are more alive and dynamic to him than the actual world around him. It's a literal and figurative ghost town. And the townspeople have separated from Norman and refuse to acknowledge him. They have cut him off, but the dead accept him. And their own situation. They they accept they're dead. Almost all of them are happy or just going about things and just, hey, what's yeah, that? they're not troubled. You know, everyone else is like, oh, God, don't talk to me. They're less troubled than the real world is. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems intentional. And so now here's where the kind of final stroke happens is that I've kind of told you about how the movie starts. Let's talk a little bit about how the movie kind of trains down to the end and take my theory home which is uh, I want to look at Norman's home and like what what's going on is with empathy in this movie. So the mother is actually kind of a signal of empathy all throughout the movie. You, you kind of see where Norman gets his empathy. But the conflict with the dad illuminates the main theme of the movie. As said by Norman in the town square, quote, they, the zombies, are just stupid people who should have known better. They did something unforgivable because they were scared and they were cursed for it. Now it's happening all over again. And the father is once again fulfilling the cliche trope goldmine stubbornly, stubbornly just saying he's like, you know, Chris Cooper in October Sky, just stubbornly against his son's ambitions. Yep. Or like Chris Cooper Efficient. in uh, American Beauty. <laughs> Always Chris Cooper. My dad, yeah. Chris Cooper. Uh, efficiently, this is done in two basic lines or back and forth. And it's pretty effective or it worked on me. In act one, he says, Ugh, stop and this is the dad speaking to the mom. Uh, stop indulging him. If nothing, I'm nothing if not liberal, but that thin wristed hippie garbage needs to be nipped in the bud. Speaking to the fact that he just believes that his grandma's still around. Uh, he just disagrees with everything, and he's in fact trying to draw it to the ills of society caused my son to do this bullshit. So it sets up dad's resigned lack of acceptance to his son. And fucks with a social issue that deals with fundamental disagreement with the politics of empathy. So we're already kind of showing that the dad is not a very empathetic guy. And then it kind of isolates at the midpoint, which is Norman getting driven home after the school play. Where he talks to his mom and dad and he says, I didn't ask to be born this way. And the dad responds, neither did we. Which is fucked up. That was a really intense line. 
And then Norman's response after dad leaves, exits the car, Norman says to his mom, which kills me, he's my dad. He shouldn't be afraid of me. By the way, the didn't ask to be born this way is echoed later by an Aggie in a flashback of what would happen during her trial. So it's literally saying, and by the way, if you didn't, if you weren't looking, when we see Aggie, they have the same eyebrows and hair. Yeah. And like, it's very clear that they're They're related. related. Yeah. Contrast these three moments with Neil who immediately loves Norman and is endearing just because he wants a friend. In the spirit of that, he says his ideology is basically, quote, if you were dumber and bigger, you'd probably be a bully too. In everything, his default position is empathy, which is how the movie kind of resolves. So in the spirit of that, Paranorman has the first, like, openly gay, I guess openly queer character in an animated children's movie, I believe. I believe so. Uh please put in the comments if you can find an earlier version of it. It's definitely the most popular at the time. And this wasn't a widely popular film at the end. They just sneak the resolve of the jock cheerleader romance. And he just tells her, Oh, I'd love, you'd love to, you'd love my boyfriend. (laughs) And it's just, that's it. It's just a nice little thing. So let's talk about the resolution of the movie. I want to ask a question about why this, this movie asks a very, it's funny that you mentioned this question at the beginning. Because it's, it's the crux of it. So how do you keep a witch asleep? In this movie, it's telling them a comforting story. This is actually kind of complex for a few reasons. For years, the Prendergast line has kept Aggie at bay by reading Sleeping Beauty to her, right? I think this is very up to your own interpretation. But based off all the, other, the work that I've been talking about throughout you know, the last hour, I took it as like a fable is just a band-aid. Traditional expectations, specifically blind faith in them, can become lies in order to just continue the status quo. So when Norman tells her her own story, but punctuates it with the promise of growth and empathizes with her, she's finally allowed to die. So it's no longer a band-aid, it's actually the solution. So like the movie's been saying, listening and acceptance is the first step towards ridding the town of its toxic relationship with strangeness. And I know like most Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks animations, that's primarily aimed at kids. That's like uh, well-trodden territory. But this movie actually mixes the beautiful and the ugly, or at least what is perceived so by your parents, your friends, and your neighbors. And it's not just that an unempathetic character learns their lesson. It dispels the assumptions by the type of thinking that leads to lack of empathy and tries to swing for like the fences, how basically how social mechanics social mechanics take us in the wrong direction sometimes. And I think that that's what the movie's about. That's why it's occupied with tropes instead of events or trends, I should say, instead of events. That's why it's occupied with the uh, repetition of mistakes throughout time. And it's also about like the father, son and friend relationships. And eventually how the gang kind of comes together and says, the whole point of it is we support Norman. Uh, And that's how they get out of the mess. I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. Like if I had a kid, I would totally bring my kid to this movie because I think it's a really well done lesson for that kind of thing. Better than I think uh, I could do is just like a a parent, you know, that's why I love movies. It's a very good lesson. Uh, Do you mind if I give you some film school uh, feedback on this hit me with your hit me with okay it all. uh i mean we don't always do this but once in a while uh we do a little segment called film school feedback in which uh mm-hmm. we we give obnoxious uh 
notes that are really just a way of saying, but I would do this. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's what I'm going to do here. So, uh, so where you really lost me is, uh, I like the, I like what you have, what you have summarized here and sort of explicated quite well. And the problem I think with it is that I like it better than I like the movie. Uh, like hmm. I, I really like the the intellectual exercise of this movie, and the movie did kind of eventually win me over to being sort of like in emotionally enjoying the lesson. Like I actually enjoyed the lesson um, when we finally yeah. got into the witch's uh, world. Uh, it was like, wow, this is a really cool. This is this is good storytelling and like good moralizing, which is unusual. Um, I had I have two I have some problems that are just Adam problems and I'm going to tell you what those are in a second, and then I have problems that I think are more legitimate film problems, which is what I'm going to start with. So to me, when people are all saying like this is kind of an ugly world and not for kids, I think that's I think that's a dumb that's a dumb way to summarize what is a legitimate problem, which is this movie doesn't make itself easy to access for people, uh, and perhaps you could argue and you should maybe. Well, that's fine, because uh, it's telling a pretty complicated story. But I feel like for a movie to try to make the social commentary that it is making, uh, it should be easier for people to access it, uh, to walk up and feel like they're a part of it. Now, it might be that because it's not been Disneyfied, uh, it's just a little too complicated to do that. Uh, like, Disney... Doesn't is not as ambitious in its messaging, although it does try to message. Um, it's not as ambitious, and it tends to be more individualistic, and it's almost it's almost never a social critique. That's very rare that Disney does a real social critique. And uh, but Disney movies are they're like butter, you know what I mean? They're easy to follow, they're easy to connect to, um, even when they're bad. This movie, the big problem with it is that Norman is kind of a bland character. He's got not bland problems, but he like what does he really want other than like for people to stop treating him bad? It's like I mean right that, that's it. That but that but that's that's a protagonist. No, no, but it isn't though because normally a protagonist has a has a goal that's not a negative. Right? Like it's it's like I want to be the king of the the king of the party or like I want to go take this girl to the dance or whatever it is. Um, in this case, it's just, okay. it's just, I want to stop being the nerd. I want to stop being the outcast. I want to eliminate all outcasts. No, I don't think it is that. What do you think it is? I think it's, I want everyone to understand this story that they're not saying. But he doesn't understand I that story I want people either. to understand. Yeah, but he understands that they're people and he wants people to see them as such. Because they have wants and desires, even though they're ghosts. I think that I think like, it's more. He's that, like Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is super bland, but highly. Effective. He wants adventure, though. It's a different thing. See, he wants he Luke Skywalker wants to have a, a life of significance and adventure, which is a thing everybody can relate to. Uh, it's not much. I'm not saying it's a lot more. It's not. I totally mm -hmm. agree with you there. It's not a lot more, but it's a big difference yeah. <laughs> because Norman. Sure. Just want like it's like he just wants equilibrium in some ways, uh, and I don't say I don't think that's a bad thing. It just makes it harder to root for him. Whereas like his buddy, uh, what's the name of his buddy? Neil. Fantastic character. I genuinely I uh -huh. genuinely liked him. 
Um, I I disliked the father in an in an okay way. Uh, I I disliked some like his sister in a good way. Like I, she was unlikable in a good way. Um, so it was just a little hit and miss with some of the execution of this. Do you not like Edgar Wright films? I love Edgar Wright films, but I think Edgar Wright. What what's difference between like Sean and Sean? Ed, of the Dead? Thank you. So Sean's problem is that he needs to accept responsibility for his life. Like he needs to own he needs to own his agency and do something. That's true. It's more of him being correct, right? Yes. And that's not what ha- like Norman doesn't have a problem that is a growth problem. He has a problem that's purely a social problem. He doesn't really grow. He just learns things. Like he, like he learns information, not not wisdom. Information, and that mm-hmm. is hard to. It's hard to get behind, like instinctively, to for me. Uh, and I think I don't think I'm the only one who feels like that. Um, but well, that's okay. what I don't know. I don't find that problem, right. but so, I'll I'll yield that. Some people will value. Some people will. I don't know how many. Some people, yeah. Not all characters are for everyone. I find that this is a s- severely sympathetic. Yeah, character I didn't. I didn't have because sympathy his with whole him. concept, his whole concept is that he wants everyone to get along, and that he wants everyone to understand each yeah. other for the betterment of you, like for that's, all of us. Like, he has the key to the kingdom. That information is the key. That's why he's able to see it, because he has this right, ability. Right, because he's Jesus. On top of the ability, he also has the desire and the want and the need for everyone to understand his perspective on like, this. But, but that's, so his, that's the problem. So he's yelling and screaming and telling all the townspeople that they're wrong. I think that that's a high, very... Uh, well, but that's character. the problem, is that he's Jesus. Like, he's literally Jesus, right? It, 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 with, the ex- with the exception of the death. Whoa. <laughs> I've never heard you say that's a problem with Jesus. But it is. It, it, it's a problem because... <laughs> no, no, it's a... Because, like, yeah. uh, Jesus doesn't grow. You know, Jesus yeah. is already in 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 a in a stasis of perfection. That's the issue. Uh, yeah, it's because the town... Like I was saying, the town right, the town's is the what, problem. The, the town has to grow. And... The town is the occupation yes, of the yes, movie. and That's, that makes it more yeah. of. I'm totally with you, and that makes it more of a philosophical treatise than it is an emotional journey, because because the the movie is sort of shirking the idea of you're going to have the the social critique through the lens of a character who wants a thing and changes his culture in the in the mm-hmm. in the abstract. So, like for instance, to to contrast that, Frodo. Frodo is the kind of character who he wants to like he 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 kind of basically wants to just be rid of the ring, right? He's he's forced to undertake this ring journey. And then when he comes back, the culture that he comes back to is not ready for him anymore. Uh but he works to sort of cleanse it of its uh of its right. he he does the social cleansing stuff because of the journey that he's gone on and he still realizes something that Norman doesn't, which is I this world has been saved, but not for me. Right? Like, and that's a, that's a problem that this movie doesn't address. Uh, I don't think that's a problem. Fair enough. But fair that's enough. That's fine. I, th- I just think that, uh, yeah. Fair I don't, enough. I don't that's know. okay. It's, it's not, not for a, everybody. It's a, no, no, I, I'm trying to understand it. And I guess I, I do see what you're saying about him not being a changing character. I think that protagonists ought to change because that's a good way to consolidate a sure. problem. 
with a solution is to have one character do that. But I don't think that on principle we need to always have no, nature protagonists. It, it, no, that. I agree. If you can find a way to do it effectively where that doesn't happen, then of course that works. But it it has and the I same problem. I think that people are ready. Maybe for that. they are, but it has the same problem that Fallout has uh, to me, which is that the ideas in Fallout are very interesting and they're and they're they're compellingly rendered in some ways, but the actual experience of learning the things and making the social decisions and the satire is not as, as rewarding as uh, it would be if it wasn't being delivered in this format. And that that's my fundamental filmmaking mm. critique of Paranorman. I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I, I love the things it's saying. No, no, no. It's, but I, yeah, yeah. But it's okay. emotionally it's distant. A... As you've been saying the whole time, there's an emotional distance to appreciating it um, that for me is like, well, that's not what I... Yeah, it kind of plays into the theory. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm reinforcing yeah. your theory. I don't think that that separates it at like the box office because you there's something you said early when like when you were making the critique you said early on that kind of uh, like hasn't been mentioned as much, which is that you're saying you, it wasn't as available to emotionally people. available, emotionally yeah. available to people, and I I, I kind of reject that. Well, I but it's for the same reasons. Like to me, that's like the Joe Biden of answers. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> I disagree. I disagree like, with that. Uh, although I'm going to start fumbling for words now, uh, and that'll prove you right. No, I. I but like, <laughs> and I. I mean, I say this to film students a lot. Uh, so maybe I'm just you know in in that brain space. But I. But like sure. you know you know this movies are fundamentally emotion machines, and mm-hmm. I agree that in our times that we're in the times that we're in right now this very moment. Uh, it's easier to get emotional about social problems than it was like 10 years ago. So in some ways, this movie's a little ahead mm-hmm. of its time because it's... Yeah, 2011, yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's, it's doing a good job about telling us empathy matters. It's not just like, hey guys, empathy. And it's not just like Atticus Fish, Fish, Finch saying, uh, you know, walk a, walk a mile in another man's shoes. It's like, because we've heard those lessons. Yeah, yeah. It's doing a narrative about that and i admire that because i firmly believe in it um i legitimately believe in it um which is why i was able to recognize it very quickly and why i didn't accidentally use the word jesus because uh it it very much relates to those kinds of religious concepts um but i don't it doesn't do it through the emotional language that we're used to for movies which is why i think it's a little hit and miss for people no not exclusively now Am I allowed to give like just two little Adam problems that you're gonna find yep. annoying and I don't care? Uh, I'm gonna, you're gonna love, love this it because I'm gonna make I'm gonna just you're gonna give yeah you're gonna first. you're gonna hit him out of the park. Promise I know. you anything, but it's gonna be I don't, great. <laughs> so this movie is a truly postmodern movie in the sense that it, mm-hmm. as you said, it's about knocking down the tropes and it's about uh, denormalizing what is normal and then sort of re re re. Uh, recontextualizing others into a normative state, right? That's a very postmodern endeavor, but it's but there's yes. something very dishonest about that uh, philosophically that that truly troubles me, which is uh, it, it's that like, well, why though? You know what I mean? Like, like why? Because it's good. Well, why is it good? Like, it, it's just sort of a. It's a very. Sh- well, why? Wait, what? What is the? It why the, why the is the empathy the right decision? Uh, like why is empathy right? And okay. I'm not saying that I why is this particular right. empathy? I, I, because I, I know you're it's very to, shallow. Yeah. 
uh, it's ultimately very shallow, which makes it, even though it's such a smart point, it makes it a little mm-hmm. bit sort of, I think, n- not resonant because uh, it's very difficult to come up with a good reason to be empathetic from post-modernity. And I know there's going to be some people like, here's this and this, and I'm going to tell you right now, man, if you're really honest with yourself, uh, it's it, the idea of sort of dest- destroying all the structures of logic and being and everything else because of their logical inconsistency or because of their abuses, and then replacing it with this sort of bland, generic empathy is uh, is frankly just not totally possible. And I that makes this ending feel saccharine to me in a way that I don't understand. Uh, and uh, perhaps people will disagree and they'll want to have uh, a, a long argument about... Uh, some treaties by Sartre. Well, I think the movie. I think the movie is trying to point at things so that we can get the dialogue. But that's what po- that's continuous. all postmodernity ever does. But you know if, what I mean, but otherwise, it's let it die the sleep, the the death of a thousand sleeps. Right. You know. Like, and, but see, and I think that that's why that's why this time is a great time to watch Paranorman because I think you could make a very good case that the problem we're having with facts is the result of this process. Yeah. Of this postmodern process, yeah. and yes, of course, I believe that empathy is the solution. But I think that we're having a hard time convincing people of it because people can't make a case from this point of view. And post and Paranorman just kind of punts on it. Um, it's true that uh, the town is convinced when, and it feels very when false pa- when Norman argues. You're just a bunch of stupid people, like they are. They're like kind like, of uh, resigned to so. that. Like, yeah. oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, and it does it does zero work uh, to do the mental gymnastics, kind of like in the same way that uh, in South Park, the, the they they instantly the town becomes a rabble, and then it also disperses with no intention as well. It is true that that it, these are just parts moving around on a board, and I and I think and that's. So, all characters are, by definition, soulless if you just look them at, right. at them as things on the page. But it's what they represent. It isn't necessary. You are right that I think films are emotional. But I don't necessarily need in my allegorical films or my moral tales for that Neo or that Luke Skywalker or that Norman to essentially be someone who is who is me. They just need to be enough. I understand that. And then they yeah. just need to... And then they just need to convince people and make me think about and all of us as viewers think about these right. problems like a good teacher i do believe that that's the best case that we can expect out of a movie I, I agree with that because that is largely my deep hope like if you had to articulate what my deep hope is as a human being right and as a filmmaker it's to in some way positively impact the world and not in a in a thematic and narrative way that makes them reconsider their choices. That's the dream. Uh, That's the great dream. So I'm not shitting on it, but I am saying that this message of empathy feels shallow in, it feels shallow in the face of reality. And I understand it's a kid's movie and we all have to sort of live with a certain amount of that, but the movie kind of dares to be an intellectual and philosophical movie and, and like really force that on you and then punts on the most important philosophical thing, which is what is the case for empathy from your worldview? You have to make that case because that's what makes people change their minds. You know, that and experience that and emotional experience, which are the two things they punted on. They, they, yeah. Okay. That's why I care about Uh, this. Yeah. Because it, it, 
and I say this as, you know, a person who has gone through a lot of things in life. I'm going to tell you one right now, Abe. The things that changed my mind in life were exposure to new ideas I hadn't heard before and experiencing pain personally or through the experience of another person. Those two things are the ways that your mind is changed. And the philosophical treaties is usually uh, sort of a game of, of like, it's like flipping a coin, right? Like, perhaps you win today, perhaps I win tomorrow, and I'll go back and rebuild my fortress, and so will you. Uh, yeah. So I'm not saying that philosophy is the answer, but I'm saying <clears throat> the work no, must be done I mean, to care. A film, a film cannot... I, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but a film cannot, uh, you know, be asked that it also provide practical advocacy. Of course not, for how right? Why would things. it? It's just you know a story. But I do think that um, I think that you're you're right that there are there are ways in which you know the way the way people need to change. But this is more of a pleading Please with change. people that the shit that they like the dad when he says it's this PC culture that does this bullshit. We're basically pleading right. with people at right. this point to say stop thinking your shit matters. Other shit matters more. But see. Because people are getting hurt. And this is hurt. where the this so is where fuck your observations, no, not no, you. I'm saying right. fuck the your dad's observations. You you're you're letting your son get away from you because you refuse on principle to listen to your son in order to deal with the status quo. Fuck that thought. Because and again, that's based on the idea that uh, that Norman has access to a greater truth, and that that truth needs to factor into what we're doing. And that everybody needs to believe him, which, but which it, is true. It didn't even need to be true in order to love someone. Like it didn't. I mean, let's take it out of the idea of like him seeing ghosts right. you know, or something like crazy high stakes, like legit. Like okay, is this mental illness? Like there are things that this movie could have dealt with in that way. But if it was just simply something like the the way in which they kind of approached the Casey Affleck character was just kind of throwing in that he's queer. Like it has nothing Agreed. to do with anything. It's just like, yeah. Okay. You know? And it's just like, that's the way it kind of should be because we shouldn't have the hangups. Now I know that like that to a lot of people who have different types of thinking can just say like, well, yeah, you're patting yourself on the back for being real woke there. Uh, and that's true, but it's also like, you got to kind of actively be the change. you. I agree. I, well, I also agree with, uh, that's actually a great case for that, uh, because not only does it not matter morally, it doesn't matter narratively either. Uh, so I I totally agree with you there. It's just that uh, it's that I want this movie to be correct. You know what I mean? Like I and not only just philosophically correct, I want it to be emotionally impactful. And I don't. I think because they punted on that, it isn't. Uh, I I think that or not not. I think it's hard to dunk. I, I can't. I'm not dunking if, it. I totally we, agree. It's not a dunk. No, no, no. I'm saying it's it's hard for the film to absolutely dunk that idea right. and make it right. nail it. You know, because I, it's such a complex. It is problem, a complex but problem. I still, like there's an alarming amount of unpacking that needs to be done just to kind of get us to the place where people are understanding. Oh, this is saying stuff about consumerism or traditionalism. It's a very um, ambitious film in that regard. Uh, so the last thing I want to say, you're going to find this annoying, uh, but I think maybe you'll laugh. I, I hope so. So it's the Puritan. Yes, it is. It? Yes, it is. So, oh, so I knew right. you're going to find that annoying. Let's hear no, it. So here's what it is. 
it's weird to me that at no point in the it's not weird but i think it's dumb that like so the puritans condemn this woman to death for being a witch which they shouldn't do obviously so the problem is that she is a witch and uh and she's not just she has more power than he does i know that you said that she, she's not a witch but she she's turns into lightning and shit yeah that's because of the curse and how, so maybe I maybe so I here's, this. here's how Go the ahead. movie plays and yeah here's how the movie plays out and they kind of explain it in a offhand way but it's definitely there. She is just like Norman. That's all she is as a uh-huh. human being. She can talk uh-huh. to dead people and that's why they yes. call her a witch. Okay, but she doesn't. She so th- the way that the witch power works is that because they did an unforgivable thing, some magical force behind the universe says. That because of that event, because of that turmoil, uh, there is a curse upon this town. And she's just a representation of that curse. So the casting spells, the electricity, all that stuff didn't happen live at the time. She just died. She, they just hanged her. I see. And I think, and then as a ghost, she could come back and do stuff. I I know that it's going to, I know people are going to be like, oh dude, who cares? I don't super care about like I'm not here to like argue about the Puritans or whatever. I don't care about it. It's it's not sure. that. It's that like I do think that if you're gonna use a subject matter that's fundamentally about witchcraft is evil because this is God and this is not and like blah blah blah. And then like they're half right at least. Uh and no amount of investigation is done into that. It's just sort of brushed aside as like a weird shorthand mm. for bad people. Uh, that is mm. also intellectually dishonest. Uh, and I'm not, it's not because you're not allowed to critique Puritans by all means, but do a good one of it. Uh, like, I guess it's because these particular Puritans found out they, they realized as soon as they died and they saw what she was talking about, that they were in the wrong. But like, so it's these particular but we Puritans. we don't know how, and I learned that that's messy they learned because they she wasn't a witch she was created she's a a witch ghost is really what it is she's only called a witch they thought that she was a witch only because she saw dead people it's not that she could manifest things into reality except that she can now it's just that like because she's a ghost because she's a curse right I, i i hear you and i'm still if you could see my face, my right now I'm doing that squint mm. thing that I do mm. when I disagree mm. and I want to fight about this forever. Yeah, that's fine. I know. That's fine. It, it's that like that's really messy and convoluted, uh, and it does matter. It does matter for this movie. It ma- like it does matter. I just don't think it's that right you, this, because you that don't movie. It's not trying to say all Puritans. No, no, no. Are evil and it's not like about that. are the Puritans were they right and <clears throat> did we represent them correctly. I mean, there's a reason why we say something is Puritan. Yes, uh, it's because we all you know, read like Nathaniel of, Hawthorne's novels. It's right, uh, and it's literally. Yeah, it has. It's true. It's become a stereotype that that's the way they, of they course. were. So we damn something with that term. Correct. It's a derogatory Correct. term, which which is uh, uh, is a cultural ignorance from us, because there is there is more to yeah. that culture. Uh, I think there's ignorance of course everywhere all right the time. but that doesn't mean it make it meaningless because look at the movie you just picked what are you talking about well it's yeah but i mean it's like it's the there's reasons that language is the way that language is it doesn't mean that they're not right about this well i again i'm not here to litigate the witch trials i'm just saying that in the rules mm-hmm. of the movie it's weird to me that they kill a woman or a young girl because she she's a witch she's not really a witch but then when they yeah. kill her she acts like a witch because of a curse 
and they conclude from that, boy, we were wrong. And nobody at any point goes, well, wait a minute. Well, how does all this work? And who gave her the curse? And like, like all that stuff would is like actually important to the world of this movie. And that's that's and, fair. Yeah, I'd say that if this was a more adult themed thing, they would pro- they ought to need to spend. They more would time have on to that. do something because we care about the the specifics. They would of have the to events. do something, and also that brings mm-hmm. up the. The larger part of this that's still Adamish, which is like I thought that's just the rules of the world were not always clear, like and I mean that in like a like sometimes these people acted like cartoons and they th- their bodies worked like cartoons, and sometimes mm-hmm. they acted like they were people but just being done in a cartoon way, and I felt like I and that's I didn't valid. know yeah and I was like so like some of the jokes didn't work because it was like well like if I stabbed this guy with this knife would he get cut up or would he or would it be like a Tom and Jerry cartoon? You know, like what would happen? And I didn't exactly know. You know, uh, I'm not trying to shit on the movie. I'm just saying, like, the philosophy of it is good, but the execution of it for an analytical mind is confusing for me, at least. I found that confusing. Yeah, that's fair. I think that they're uh, paying more attention to those kind of things are things that movies should probably do, and this. You're right about at least one thing, which is that it doesn't really explain the rules of the witch game. But and it needed to, and, especially if you're going to reference Puritans. Yeah, you know, like uh, it does explain it enough for me. I agree, it may not for everyone. Uh, and tonally, in terms of like, well, this it landed here, it didn't, or it's like a so sometimes they're humans, sometimes they're cartoons. Um, I think that movies, especially animation, has gotten past that. I mean, it's. Lego movie has the same problem. Yeah, but right? Lego movie um, is intentionally actually just copying other movies, like like other movie properties. Yeah. This is still ostensibly a unique property. Uh, I mean, it's again, this is a pretty. It's a lot to lay to lay on a kids movie. Uh, cer- certainly, I wouldn't yeah. lay this on. It's definitely, yeah, a big I would. Right, and that's why it's because it took a big swing. Uh, and just so everybody knows, uh, I'm not here defending Purit- all the Puritans, by the way, but I do think there are good critiques of Puritanism still. Like, for instance, I think The Witch is a good one. Uh, the Witch is a good critique of Puritanism. And mm-hmm. in that movie, they bothered to make the family extreme even for Puritans. Because otherwise, they knew it would seem like they were judging a culture. You know, like, and I, I, I do yeah. think that we have to be careful, even with a culture that has a bad legacy, to completely paint them through the lens of, like, one point of view. You know, uh, that seems mm-hmm. weird to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's weird. Yeah, I think it's wholly motivated. Of There are no actual witches. Right, 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 of course. <laughs> so, in, so they were all the people who burned little girls who were monsters. 100%. So it's taking advantage of that truth in our real universe. And you're right, it doesn't obey those rules because with the second that she actually does have powers, uh, it does alter that. But, you know. What matters? Right, right, is that right? Are we is this a Marvel movie? Like do I need to understand where the Captain yeah. America powers come from? I don't know. But that's valid. All that's My valid. My eye is always like I um, I don't agree. What, is it, what part of it do you disagree with? I'm just curious. 
Uh, I don't think that it's a movie A needs to do all that work uh, because I don't think that that's what this type of movie is. It's not trying to set us up for that. I think uh, it's explained enough, uh, and I think that tonally it works for me. So a lot of the subjective uh, things that you said were questionable, I find subjectively I'm just on the other side of. We're just on chasms. Um, looking. At, we're looking across a chasm that's of taste. That's fine, man. It's okay. I don't want you to be me. <laughs> I'm me. <laughs> Yeah, we get confused all the time. Can you believe that? Yeah, people like to confuse us. That's almost its own trope that could be its own movie. I think it's we're we're both yeah. big guys, uh, but also Adam and Abe were both A names. We had the same job for years. So you're you have sympathy but, uh, for the devil on this one. For yeah. for Adam. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Uh, well done. See, I told I you, you dunk would. on you. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, thanks for that, though. Thank you for playing well, with me. On, I love the work you did on this. A uh, lot of very careful, thoughtful uh, recontextualizing of the movie. Yeah, I think it's just stuff that you you don't realize. I'm sure a lot of people, some of the stuff was probably like, yeah, yeah, I saw the movie. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot of stuff that you forget to not look for because the movie hasn't told you to look for it enough so this is kind of like a rewatching of the movie with a closer eye saying like oh it's there a second watching of this if you didn't get it the first time is valuable uh that's all i mean well, to, i agree uh, with you to make a I, case i actually it. think yeah. that you are giving it sort of the ideal first watch you know i mean yeah, like uh right. I, I don't know it maybe maybe it's not possible to catch all that in a first watch but uh I, it's the kind of movie that like it cha- it's so challenging that it needs to be watched multiple times to give a good opinion of it, which few people are gonna do, right? Like who who's gonna do that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, well done, sir. This guy, thank you, thank you, and thank you everyone yeah. for listening. Um, this has been Director Peace Theater. P- please uh, leave a you know, uh, like a five star or whatever star thing on uh, iTunes for us. That gets our our podcast it to more eyeballs which is kind of the whole point of this thing uh so that we can make more of it and just we just love doing it and if you haven't already uh and are visiting right now we do early releases and uh special releases of specific things when we're working on it uh between adam michael and i uh at patreon.com slash small beans uh and if you're in so inclined please drop us a little you know kind of donation or uh, subscription that keeps us afloat and uh, we love doing this stuff. Hopefully you enjoyed this observation and yeah, we'll see you on Thanks the next Thanks so much one. for listening. Bye. Bye. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!